0: So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
1: Campsite Media. This episode includes discussion of sexual abuse, and it is also not appropriate for children.
2: When I was 17, I was sent to one of the most prominent well-known and successful modeling agencies in Paris. I was sent there from Australia and I was told by my agent and my mother was told that um, in order to keep me safe I would be placed inside the home of the owner of the agency. That seemed great, oh wow, it seemed, well she's so special, she's going to be staying with the owner and yes she'll be safe, he'll keep an eye on her. <laughs> well. When I got to Paris, Jean-Luc, the founder and owner, was away. So I actually had two weeks in his, you know, incredible apartment without him. And the night he got back from wherever he had been, he called me into his room and he was sitting there um, in his bedroom, chopping lines of co- chopping cocaine. Um, he was on a banquette and it was very lush and sumptuous. He did have good taste. I'll give him that. And anyway, and he said, you know Zoe, one of these days we are going to have to have sex together. Never forgot it. I have never forgot it. And then he looked right at me and pushed the plate of cocaine towards me. It was just such a shocking, discombobulating moment. And I didn't know what to do. And so as is so often the case, when you're shocked, you try to sort of laugh it off. My brain was thinking, what do I do, what do I do? Do I make him happy? Do I make him laugh? Do I run out of the room? Do I do the drugs? What what do I do? And so I did a line of coke with him. And there was another girl in the apartment. She was from Hawaii, she was American. She was younger than me. And we were sharing that shitty little weird room with these weird, I didn't know you could get beds that were narrower than a, a single bed. Like they were really strange. And there were two in there, and there was a tiny wee bathroom that I later found out had a a, a spy hole into the shower. So when, when, when I was told that Jean-Luc would be keeping an eye on me, that was literal.
3: This is Fallen Angel. I'm Justine Harmon.
1: And I'm Vanessa Grigoriadis. Episode 4, Money and Meat.
4: Break your spell. Hollywood.
3: You could say that the early to mid-90s were something of a transitional period, both for Victoria's Secret and the modeling business at large. You could also say that it was the era during which some of the fashion industry's
1: darkest forces converged. We talked a lot last time about the connection between Jeffrey Epstein and Les Wexner and the way Epstein pretended to be a model scout for Victoria's Secret.
0: A man was presenting himself as a recruiter of Victoria's Secret models. I asked her the name of the man, if she knew the name. Yes, she said Jeffrey Epstein.
1: Epstein wasn't really casting for Victoria's Secret. Elbrand specifically denies that he ever worked for the company. He was just after Models.
3: Beyond Victoria's Secret and the L Brands universe, there were too few checks and balances on a business fueled by young women, but ruled by middle-aged men. The Models were often sent abroad as teenagers. They needed money. They didn't have cell phones. Things fell through the cracks. And the cracks were wide, perhaps intentionally so. In order to understand how the power dynamic between models and the male gatekeepers at brands like Victoria's Secret may have come unhinged, you have to get a better understanding of what the global culture was like. You have to get a sense for guys like Jean-Luc Brunel. Outside of Victoria's Secret, Jean-Luc was actually one of the most powerful players in the modeling business. Brunel, whom I would describe as a raven-haired Willem Dafoe... Was the founder and owner of several agencies. His first agency in Paris was a big deal, and Brunel claimed he discovered major talent, like supermodels Mila Jovovich and Christy Turlington, though their representatives have denied this. It wasn't considered all that strange that teenage girls were living at Brunel's apartment, minutes away from the best shops on the Champs Elysees. Even Christy Turlington who met Jean-Luc when she was 14, sometimes spent the night. Staying there was nicer than some hotels, she later told the Washington Post, and I considered it a perk. So when Zoe Brock was 17, she moved away from her family in Sydney, Australia, to live and work with Brunel in Paris. It wasn't anything out of the ordinary. Young models who had found success in their hometowns often relocated to European fashion hubs like Paris and Milan. In 1988, 60 Minutes even did a segment on it.
4: They're girls as young as 15 and 16, recruited by talent scouts or sent by their local modeling agencies, because Europe has more fashion houses and magazines, and it's easier to get that first big break there than in New York.
3: Back in the 80s and 90s, these living arrangements were part of the gig. It was customary for a group of girls from all over the world to share cramped quarters called model apartments which are still around today, by the way.
4: The modeling agencies also own
3: apartments all around Paris. According to 60 Minutes, agencies would rent out apartments to their teenage clients and then bill them a sizable upcharge. And
4: each girl paying
1: a lot of rent.
3: Being invited to stay with Jean-Luc Brunel, the founder of one of the most prominent agencies in Paris? No-brainer.
2: What, you have like a duffel bag and like you flew? I flew from Australia, from Melbourne. And, um, no, I had a nice suitcase. (laughs) (laughs) My mom was a fashion designer, so we were sort of, you know, we were in the fashion industry and we thought that we were, you know, pretty street smart people.
3: But now here she was, 17 years old, nearly 10,000 miles from her mom, high on cocaine and on high alert.
2: He took me and the other girl out that night and we all went to a club and I just remember being very guarded, um, pretending to be having fun but, like, paying real close attention to what whatever was going on. You know, nothing happened that night. The next couple of days I managed to, like, really avoid him and, you know, I think he could tell that he was just not going to get anywhere and so a couple of days after that I was told you're, you're not allowed to stay in the apartment anymore and you're being moved.
0: And
3: there's no way that was a coincidence. No,
2: absolutely not. The problem was if I, I was being thrown out of the apartment, I wasn't able to keep an eye on the other girl who was there either.
1: More after the break.
3: Zoe Brock went on to find success as a model, mostly in Italy. She walked the runway for brands like Gucci, Vivian Westwood, and Giorgio Armani. But she says her night with Jean Luc Brunel changed how she sees the world around her. It felt to her like it was all a game, a game where men hunted girls like her for sport. And guess who else was playing? Jeffrey Epstein. According to one of Epstein's victims, Virginia Jufre, Epstein told her that he'd slept with over 1,000 of Brunel's girls. She claims Brunel used his agency to get foreign girls' visas and then farm them out to friends like Epstein, a claim corroborated in legal filings and by Brunel's own former bookkeeper. In a statement to The Guardian in 2015, Brunel denied having committed any illicit act or any wrongdoing in the course of my work as a scouter or model agency's manager. We also reached out to representatives for Brunel, but didn't hear back, and he is no longer associated with any modeling
2: agencies. But it wasn't just the agencies. There was all of the periphery people that were around the agency, the drivers. So in, in Italy, if you were there for a show season, Each one of you would have a driver whose job it was to literally get you to 20 castings a day. So you were in and out and in and out and in and out and they would drive you around. I found out later that all of those drivers had um, a point system competition going every season. Who could get the most points by who slept with, butt fucked, got a blowjob from, groped, made out with however many models. And each sexual act was worth a certain amount of points one of those fuckers went on to become an agent at my agency, you know? So that sort of mentality is just ingrained in the whole industry. And then you've got all of the people who would be friends, the sycophants of, of the agents, you know, Jean-Luc's friends were disgusting men, you know, just, wealthy, grotesque, you know, opulent, just throwing money around to try to impress girls. And they were just, you know, just trying to see how many girls they could shack. Little did we know, my mother and I, that four years prior or three years prior, he had already been exposed and accused of rape on 60 Minutes.
3: That's right. In the same 60 Minutes segment about cramped apartments in Europe, An American model said Jean-Luc retaliated against her after she rejected his advances.
4: You actually have known that he has made someone pay a professional penalty for saying no.
0: I know. I paid a penalty for saying no. No. I was personally proposed to by Jean-Luc, and I said no way. I laughed in his face, and I had no more appointments, and
3: I never worked. Then another young model, who asked to have her face and voice obscured, accused him of drugging and raping her.
4: He gave you a drink? Yes. You drank it and then what?
5: I blacked out. I don't remember anything after that. The next thing you remember remember was being in this man's bed.
0: You think everybody knows this
5: about Jean-Luc Brunel? Oh, yes. A lot of people know that. A lot of people. They continue to deal with him. Everyone continues to deal with I don't know why.
3: Modeling bigwig Jean-Luc Brunel's alleged appetite for cocaine and teenage girls was widely considered an open secret. But no one bothered to tell 17-year-old Zoe Brock that. As far as she knew, he represented the creme de la creme. Big names. Women who flew on jets with billionaires. Women for whom the world was an open door.
2: When I was out there, cruising around the world, thinking I had it all figured out, I was a child. And I was in situations with these people who were rotten to the core, who didn't see me even as a human being.
3: 30 years later, Zoe sees it like this. In modeling, there are two kinds of girls. The money, as in the models who turn a profit for the agency. And then there's the meat.
2: There have been so many girls that were in and out of that apartment, underage and not, all under different circumstances, and some had terrible things happen to them and others didn't. And one of the things that I think is really important to talk about is that these men are able to compartmentalise. I've had friends who were very successful in the modelling industry who stayed in that exact little room many times, and they made a lot of money for Jean-Luc, and he never, ever, ever did anything untoward to them. So here's, here's what I think happened, this is my gauge on it, Jean-Luc had to make money. So the girls that were going to be his enormous money makers are not ones that he was going to mess with. Paris was never, strangely, a good market for me. I just, for some reason, it was never great for me, Italy was amazing, but Paris, They never really quite got me. I did a few shows and stuff, but it just wasn't my place. And so by the time Jean-Luc got there and I hadn't really booked anything, I was put into the other category, which was the meat category. I wasn't in the money category. And once I was in the meat category, all bets are off.
3: More after the break. Throughout her years as a professional model, Zoe Brock went on to find herself alone in Harvey Weinstein's hotel room at a European film festival, and later, on a bus full of models on its way to Donald Trump's house. To her, it seemed, the breadcrumbs always led back to Jean-Luc.
2: When I got sent to Miami, and I was with this agency, you know, this is the agency that then pressured me for days To go to a party at Mar-a-Lago. Because Trump was paying this agency that was owned by Jean-Luc money to bus a a whole like literally a busload of girls. Underage and not, I wasn't. I was 24 at that point. But like I was one of the oldest on that bus. You know, a whole busload of girls who were so excited to be there. I did not want to be there at all. And when we got there, they made sure that we looked obviously like the girls, and we all had these red and white striped wristbands put on us, plastic wristbands.
3: So you couldn't drink or
2: just to... No, just so so that we were designated.
3: And what were you supposed to do? Just walk around and feel uncomfortable?
2: Well, I don't know. Look, I did not want to go to this bloody party. It took them days to convince me. They're like, look, we're paying you, we're paying you, which meant that Trump was paying them because they weren't going to just pay us for no reason.
3: Zoe can talk about all this stuff now. Sometimes with haughty anger other times with removed amusement. Like a lot of people you speak with about all of this, she's convinced that all of these men are affiliated, both on paper and off, even if there's no known evidence linking Brunel to Trump.
2: I used to model for years and years and years, and during that time, a whole bunch of nasty shit happened to me, and I lived to tell the tale. It's it's interesting because when you get into the modeling industry, you're always warned, well, don't go with these dodgy little agencies because you're going to get ripped off and you're going to get abused. But we're talking about literally the best agencies in the world, the ones where Vogue Magazine and, you know, Dior book their girls from. We're not talking about, you know, crappy little street corner, you know, agency down the block. We're talking about you know multi-million dollar companies here <laughs> that have the highest paid women in the world on their books and they seem to have this sort of subsection of eh the other the other people.
3: Meaning the meat.
2: What's really interesting to me too is that you know Epstein was funding these agencies.
3: The name Jean-Luc Brunel Jean-Luc or JLB appears 25 times in flight logs for Epstein's private plane, headed to destinations where he owned homes, including New York, Paris, Palm Beach, and the Virgin Islands.
1: And by the early 2000s, according to the Miami Herald, Epstein had given Jean-Luc 2 million bucks to help him open yet another modeling agency. Old-school message pads
3: with cryptic phone messages from Brunel would later be found in Epstein's townhouse.
4: He just... Did a good one, 18 years, she spoke to me and said, I love Jeffrey, he has a teacher to teach you to speak Russian, she is two times eight years old, not blonde, lessons are free and you can have first today if you call.
1: If you didn't catch that, Jean-Luc was using code there. Two times eight was his way of telling Epstein that the teacher he was sending Epstein to learn Russian from was 16.
3: The number of girls who were allegedly trafficked between the two men and members of their inner circle, girls who were classified as meat and passed along to be abused, is impossible to calculate
2: with Jean-Luc it's my belief that there are literally hundreds or thousands and then I just really started thinking about all of the pervs that I've known all of the players and how they overlap in places and I just I hate conspiracy theories but I do think it's a hell of a coincidence (laughs) there's just all of these powerful awful people
1: The Jean-Luc story actually has a good ending. He's one of the only men connected with Epstein who has actually been arrested. At the end of 2020, he'd run over to the airport in Paris and tried to board a flight for Senegal, but authorities grabbed him before he left the country. The charge was allegedly raping minor girls.
3: Not long before Jean-Luc Brunel was routinely taking rides on Jeffrey Epstein's jet, the Lolita Express, the Victoria's Secret aesthetic underwent yet another
1: makeover. Models are selling clothes, but they're really selling sex, right? And what we consider to be sexy. And what happened with Victoria's Secret as bodies on the runway overall began to change is really interesting. And some say the change happened quicker than you can say. Allison... Can you explain what internet is? That little mark
0: with the A and then the ring around
4: it. You get whatever it is in the world you want from the world wide web.
2: Faster searches, instant messages. The internet is revolutionizing business.
5: When you go back and you look at Cindy and you look at, you know, Naomi, those women were like kind of size six real women type of thing. That's the podcaster
3: and fashion designer and expert, Rachel Omandi. Rachel says that the internet had a fundamental role in changing the body ideal across the modeling industry at large, and that perhaps Victoria's Secret, which had been synonymous with fuller-bodied models like Cindy Crawford and Naomi Campbell, felt the pressure to stay current.
5: At that time, like in the 90s, in the late 90s specifically, it was very pre-pubescent, Prada, Gucci, kind of Lolita. Then they got scary thin throughout the 90s, like double zero, Heroin chic, you know, flat chest, no boobs. What was pushing, like, these waif double zeros?
3: What are the, like, global influences?
5: I think there's a lot of hot takes about this. And I think, um, you know, James Scully, who is a casting director and has been in this business for a really long time, he said it, has a lot, it had a lot to do with style.com and the internet arriving in the fashion scene and how quickly everyone could spot models and how... There became a new international modeling center so people started going to eastern europe to cast girls and when things started moving quickly they needed girls faster and they needed them sooner and so the kind of fundamental rules on how to groom a girl went out the window before you know women were really women by the time they got into these magazines and they worked their way up to being these cover girls but by that point right when you know word can make it around the world overnight You lost that precious time in which you could build someone from going to catalog and doing commercial and then getting a Vogue cover. That time span was gone. It was like, we need an it girl, we need her today, and we need her now. That, coupled with the fact that, you know, in Eastern Europe, they don't have regulations, I think it just became a huge storm of any girl, any girl, any age. It it almost became borderline human trafficking.
1: The Internet, the globalization of the modeling business, it turned the industry upside down. I talked to Amy LaRocca, the fashion director at New York Magazine for 20 years, about what this meant for the young women who were caught in this chaos.
0: Modeling is, I mean, it is a terrible job. Most models are paid very little. Success comes at an incredibly young age. So basically, you have to choose between a modeling career and an
1: education. Amy's talking in broad terms about how she thinks modeling works. She's not talking about any one specific agency
0: if you get scouted they'll say okay you know we're gonna buy your plane ticket to new york we're gonna buy your plane tickets to paris we're gonna buy you some clothes to go on uh shoot you know to to go on go sees to go on auditions so before you go out for your first job you're already in debt to your agency some huge amount of money so you're already trying to crawl out of a hole and odds are you're not going to be naomi campbell and modeling work pays really poorly like day-to-day job modeling work is a really low-paid profession. So the idea that you could even pay your
1: agency back is, you know, it's not great. So when a Victoria's Secret job came around, models really wanted it. It was considered a good job in a sea of bad jobs. Here's Brendan Burke, a photographer who worked on their shoots.
4: The Victoria's Secret catalog shoots, which is, um, which is like when I did a lot, a lot, a lot of really great because it's just a sort of money train. They're always shooting and VS, uh, spends a lot on its girls. Like the way that they, their strategy for making the shoots work well is that they would, they would spend a lot of money on girls. They weren't spending the most money on photographers or locations or sets of hair makeup. I mean, it was like they would divert a lot of their production resources to spending money on, on getting better higher quality girls. My experience on the Victoria's Secret shoots was that the power dynamic that, you know, you hear about in a lot of the me too sorts of things wasn't the same um, where there's like a, you know, some kind of like photographer that's the gatekeeper to shoots and fame and fortune. And then there's, you know, sort of like a needy model or like a model who's looking to get her foot in the door, And the photographer's able to take advantage of this power disparity to force their will on the girl or to get her to do something she doesn't want to do. My experience with Victoria's Secret was actually not that, at least at the level where I was working, because they were tending to hire these sort of like middling photographers. Or you know, or good photographers, but they were getting very good girls, and the girls did not need the photographers as much as they did in the you know, the classic me too trope that you hear about.
1: Victoria's Secret, that's where a model could go from meat to money. From vulnerable to untouchable.
4: The lion's share of my VS catalog jobs were with this kind of like um, middling photographer who, you know, I'm sure given the opportunity would have been, you know, the true to form kind of like sleazy me too, dude, but he, you know, he had nothing to offer these models. These models were all above him and he really had no leverage on the models.
1: Next time on Fallen Angel.
5: In 2007, Jeffrey Epstein pleaded guilty to two prostitution counts in Florida. He was sentenced to 13 months in jail. I'm a Victoria's Secret supermodel. Like, that, that is me. Once you are not
2: that, like, the foundation crumbles. Well, here we are at Bryant Park.
5: We're in New York City. Security is tight, and so are the girls.
3: Fallen Angel is a documentary production from C-13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio, and Campside Media. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran for Cadence 13, Vanessa Gregoriatis, and me, Justine Harmon. Executive producers for Campside are Adam Hoff, Josh Dean, and Matt Scher. Narrated and written by Vanessa Gregoriatis and Justine Harmon. Directed by Lloyd Lockridge. Production led by Paige Heimson. Edited by Alistair Sherman. Mixed and mastered by Chris Basil Production support and research by Ian Mant Sean Cherry Bob Tabador Bill Schultz Kelly Rafferty Callie Hitchcock Natalia Winkleman Aaliyah Papes Alex Yablon and Doug Slaywin Artwork and graphic design by Kurt Courtney Marketing and publicity by Brian Swarth Maura Curran Hilary Schuff and Josephina Francis Original music by Skyline Brigade Our theme song is Heartbreak Hollywood by LaDesi cadence 13 is an odyssey company
4: Will you ever break your spell?
5: Hollywood.
1: it's sophia franklin and if you don't already know listen up my mini series is live now each and every monday and the only person missing is you We're dating, we're dumping, we're learning, and we're tapping into all the feels that originally brought us together. Listen and follow Sophia with an F on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.